Welcome to the 9 to 5 Killers podcast, an explorative and insightful journey inside the minds of some of the most successful entrepreneurs who have killed their day jobs to pursue their passions. Streets raise me, born in 80s baby, Lord save me, cause today I'm going crazy with this bullsh, 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 crazy with this bullsh, bullsh, bullsh. Welcome to season two of the Nine Five Killers podcast, episode two. My name is Glenn Graham and I'm your host. And today I'm joined by a very dapper gent. He is the CEO of a private realty firm with over 15 years of home and commercial real estate experience in New York City. He is also the CEO and creative director of CKC New York, a custom-made tailor menswear brand for the modern day gentleman. The store CKC is located on 27 West 55th Street in Manhattan. You can also visit the website at ckcny.com. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, allow me to introduce my friend, Mr. Christopher Corey. Welcome to the show, Chris. It is a pleasure to have you here with us. I appreciate you, brother, and I'm humbled and honored to take part in this. I love to watch what you do, and I Thank love you, you know that you don't stop and that your mind is always working, man. You always tend to lift people up. Uh, it's a constant yeah. thing. Correct. And, um, and that's one of the things that I, that I really admire about you, that you, you use your platform and what you're doing to lift people up. And that's something that should be celebrated. You know? Well, lifting up is harder than tearing down. You know, it's, oh, yeah. It's like a house, right? Mm -hmm. It's much harder to build a house than it is to tear down a house. Wow. We as human beings tend to veer towards the negative. And we always want to tear things down rather than putting something of quality up or helping somebody put something up. Right. We tend to want to tear down and break down. Generally, People do that because it makes them feel better about themselves. It's it's insecurity and fear. Most of everything, it's a it's an old saying, but it's very true. Life is based on two things, love and fear. And unfortunately, most of the world is controlled by too much of one and not enough of the other. You know what? This this is a truth, and what that brings me to is is balance. So one of the things that I love about you is like balance you you have a balance to what you're doing in your business and so speak to that like how does that govern how you how you move in the world well that's that's all of life all of life is balance once you veer too far to one way or the or the other that's when mistakes are made because you're not coming from a balanced place you know like if you're standing on a on a on a ground that's uneven you're uneven Right? You want to correct yourself and balance yourself. If you can do that in your mind, you can do that in just about everything else. And it, the key is balance. It's, it's true of whether we're talking about the state of the world. You know, if the world was a little more balanced and a little more equal, you know, equality is a big word these days. If, if things were a little more equal, the world would be a better place because it would be in better balance. It's when we we take everything to extremes right? because we're a reactive society. We react to, instead of getting in front of things and keeping things manageable and in balance, 
we react when, when problems occur. And just like everything else in life, it's not the problem, it's your reaction to it that determines how big or how small it's going to be. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is a great point. And it brings up something, you know, the recent, uh, the recent things that have been happening with the inequality with the black lives matter movement. And I see how you're using your platform to, to, you know, channel that and to, to come back to that. So I appreciate you on that. And one of the things is it does have to do with whether things are equal or not. That means people know that things aren't equal, but it's easier for them to act like they are. How do you, like, what do you do in terms of, of addressing that and using your platform to do that, to address those issues? Well, if you have a platform or you don't, um, that's not really the issue. The issue is that you, you make your voice heard, whether you have a huge platform or a little platform, because if you can change one person's life or 100 people, you have an effect, and that effect will grow as those people talk to other people. That's how movements get started. That's how things grow. It always starts with one person uh, affecting another person in a, in a positive or negative way, hopefully for the positive. Yeah. And you have to try to, in a balanced way, approach people and things that you think can make a difference, you think that uh, can affect change for the positive, and how you see it, we all have a different set of eyes and we always see things differently. But as a collective, I think we see things as they should be or as we want them to be rather than how they are. And you have to sort of discern how things are versus how you want them to be or are you ignoring it or are you, are you just sort of burying your head in the sand and, and not paying attention to it. We're, especially in this country, we're very good at that. We're very good at burying our head in the sand. And we think if we can't see it, it doesn't exist. Right. Or we've, we choose not to see it, it doesn't exist. But it's existed for a very long time. It's existed since this country was founded. So, and probably since humanity was founded. You know, there's never been complete balance in anything, but... As society has gone on, it's become more out of balance by the day. And by human nature, you get warped by things and your view of things get warped because we're sort of very susceptible to being influenced right. by money, by power, by fame, by all these things. Or like, they're like drugs. You get, you get hooked on it and it's unfortunate because then other voices are drowned out and don't get heard that should be heard. And voices that probably are heard too much are heard too much. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, this is, this is true. And I think that also some of the responsibility has to fall in the hands of the people that are also silent. Because one of the things that I've noticed is even with whatever it is I'm working on, person may, may contact me outside of what I'm doing. And instead of being part of the conversation, like I'll give you an example. There was a recent uh, thing and a guy from my job, he made the remarks about the Black Lives Matter movement. He said that he, he doesn't believe in it or it, it, he's against it. He's totally against it and you should be too. He made a comment. Uh, he was 
basically they asked him and they removed him from his position. They didn't remove him from the job, but from the position, from what I understand. And it wasn't because of that this was the right thing to do. I think that this person walked around and because he got away with so much, this was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to a friend of mine recently and he said to me, is it right for this guy to lose his job? And I said, absolutely. I don't think that he should lose his job because of one thing. But when you look at the history of what this person has done, like it's not, you never get, you know, you never get let go from a job or anything, or you never get reprimanded for that first thing you do. It becomes a habit. Let's say you make that one inappropriate remark to the young lady, mm-hmm. or you make that very um, coarse response to a client, or you do something that is on um, borderline racist and use your platform to you to do it, like you're on, on social media. And then you get away with that, but then you did the you did the a wrong thing at the wrong time. So I think I think I think who said this? I believe it was uh, it was a comedian said it's not about what you did; it's about when you did it and and what time was it? Mm-hmm. What what was that time in the in the in the world? So we're in a world where people are are open and they are their eyes are open and they're looking, and what we say and what we do is somewhat under a microscope. Whether that is. Um, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement or the women's right and the Me Too movement. All of these things are things that are that may have gone on for years, but now are at the forefront. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, to break it down in its most simplest form, I uh, will try to quote, I think it was Bill Parcells, the former coach of the Giants, mm-hmm. said, uh, you are what your record says you are which is very true in both sports and life and personally. You judge people not by what they say, but what they do. And if you have a record of doing the right thing, that's who you are. If you have a record of saying the right thing, I'm less inclined to believe that's who you are. Uh, Action matters and the things you do matter. Words and and what people say come from a place of wanting to please people or wanting to displease people or want to, you know. And you see that with the movement now to look at the end of the day, none of us were born racist. You don't come out of the womb racist. Kids, little kids are not racist. Matter of fact, they're quite the opposite. If you listen to kids, like when they play together, at a very early age, they will say things that are probably politically incorrect to each other and they love it. Because, and then they just go on, they're like, wow, you are a lot darker than me. Right. And, you know, can I borrow that toy? Uh, yes, you can. You know, let's, let's do it together. And they're cool with each other all the time. Grownups are racist because it's your learned behavior. It's what you've learned from whether it's your parents or society or your friends. You become racist. You're not born racist. You're born quite the opposite. You're born loving, wanting, bring it all in, smiling, happy. You take on layers of crap, basically, and it infects you. Just like uh, the coronavirus, mm-hmm. you know, you you don't really realize it when it's happening, but it it comes down on you, and then it's in your bloodstream, and whether you know it or not, you got it. And what I find is 
everybody, even the most liberal, absolutely open-minded person as an adult, is still a little racist. They won't admit it and they won't come out and, and say it and, and tell their friends and, and their family, but they're all a little racist because as we get older, we become more fearful. Kids are fearless. They'll run into a wall, they'll run into it because they don't know any better and they are sort of not worried about consequences. Uh, as an adult, we take on layers of fear. And so it stems from fear because if someone looks different than us or acts different than us or talks much differently than we do, it scares us. We're uncomfortable with it. And as soon as a, an adult becomes uncomfortable, they become fearful and then that manifests itself in some sort of weird racism, mm. whether it be Asian people or Latino people or mm. anybody of color, especially for white people, anybody who's not white, who's not in their like dairy queen of an existence, they look at as different and that scares them. Mm. And as soon as they get scared, the, the more frightened they become, the more ignorant they become. Right. And, and that sort of feeds on itself. And it's much more comfortable for them to be around other people that look, act, smell, walk, talk, just like they do. Mm -hmm. They're comfortable. Yeah. And they're happy that way. As soon as they get uncomfortable, have to think outside the box or accept somebody who is different, whether it's their, you know, sexual orientation or it's their skin color it makes them uncomfortable and they want to repel against it wow that's that's and pretty it's, it's sad that's pretty it's like, sad if we could all go back to the way we were as children mm -hmm. the world would be a better world would be a better place if we were like we were as kids open smiling and happy mm -hmm. and if the world was run by women <laughs> Those two things would make the world a much better place. I can see that. Neither of those things right now looks like it's happening in any sort of meaningful way or as fast as we would like it. Mm -hmm. So we are stuck with the world we got that is run by white men mm -hmm. for the most part. Well, in this country anyway. Yeah. White men that have screwed it up beyond belief because of their fear, their addiction to power, money, and influence. Wow, you just really put that out there. I like it. I like how you, you broke just, it down. You know, I'm old <laughs> enough. You're old enough. To I've seen some stuff, and right. what I see, I don't like, and yeah. it's just gotten worse as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's plain to see now. It becomes right. very clear, you know, with age comes a little bit of wisdom and you with, see, with those creaking bones. Right, you, you see a lot. See yeah, so one of the things that I'll add to your to what you're saying is is, is the reverse, because I grew up in a different thing. Where I, where I grew up, there weren't a lot of white people. So the mm -hmm. people that I grew up with um, that were white, that were in the vicinity, they had a definite um, issue with black people. And so I thought every white person did. So it wasn't until I started to get outside of that, because as you said, um, I didn't. I wasn't born racist, but there were some times where I was like, "Yo, that's that's what all white people are like." This, and I right. and I and I made that assumption, like the like the ignorant 
racists do. I, you have a bad interaction with somebody, and that, and then you, and then you start to spread it to everybody. Else. You put, you paint everybody with that broad brush, and the same way you can, you can learn it, you can unlearn it. So True. I started to question: Am I? Is that everybody? Because the same thing that that black people that black people would say, or Latinos or whoever else, um, we're not all the same. You can't judge all of us. I I had to change my viewpoint, and it's and I couldn't use the the, the fact that yes. I ran into a good majority of white folks around where I grew up that were like that, but that doesn't um, that, that that doesn't carry the masses. So I'm wondering how I, a well, young kid could figure that out. Well, and, because as a young kid, you don't look at the world that way. You right. you are more inclined to discover new things than you are apprehensive about discovering new things so if if you saw a white person as a kid you're like huh what is this about they're a lot lighter than me i want i want to i want to know this i want to i want to figure this out and and they do as as you get older you make a decision i I don't want to know you know because i'm comfortable in in my group in where i am and then you know that's about changing perspective look at in many relationships that I've been in, I've uh, I've been in more than a few interracial relationships where um, my lady was uh, African American, or mm-hmm. she was Latino, or she was. And I remember once being at dinner with my girlfriend at the time. It's a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> we were at dinner, and she is a woman of color. And we were in a restaurant where I could feel the eyes on us. And they weren't good eyes, like, oh, I love her dress or, you know, I like his suit. It was a different set of eyes that were on us. And I was fuming. I'm a young, hot-headed cat at this point, right? And I I am seeing red, man. And she grabbed my hand and she looked at me and she said, hey, she's like, I've dealt with this my whole life. She said, let me give you a piece of advice. You're not gonna take on every racist person you meet in this world. The best thing you can do is lead by example. And she's 100% right. And, you know, I tried to get my mind around that you know, it's still difficult because when you see any kind of injustice or anything like that, I still see red. Right. But you handle it in a much different way. And it's about how you handle these things. That that that's what it really comes down to. Wow. And 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 something like using your voice is also a good a good thing and, and I felt that from you. Like you don't your openness to use your voice in those situations. So that actually brings me to a question for you. Cause like a lot of times, um I've heard interviews with you and no one really mentions your parents. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to know a little bit about, like, tell me a little about your mom, a little about your dad. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, some incredible parents in terms of uh, just who they are and what they did and, and who they were in this world. And, and fortunately passed some of that on to my sister and myself and how we see the world and how we operate in the world. My mother uh, was a very well-known woman because uh, 
early on in her late teens, early 20s, she was the first woman writer of The Tonight Show. With Johnny Carson? Uh, actually, before him. Before Johnny Steve Carson. Steve Allen and then Johnny Carson. Wow, okay. And um, she became very well known as being, you know, especially back then, we're talking about in the, in the 50s. You know, this is uh, way before women could assert themselves in, you know, a lot of ways in society. And, and she, at a very young age, was, you know, moving and shaking. Then later on, uh, she became the first woman to uh, start her own advertising agency, which was unheard of in like the late 70s, or early 80s. You know, that just wasn't done. And so she was very much a pioneer and very much an incredible woman who uh, I, you know, can only hope to live up to that. That's those are big so, shoes. No, man. big shoes. They're big, <laughs> and they're big, very well-dressed shoes. You know, wow. those are like some big Chanel pumps right. to, uh, to live up to. Um, and my dad uh, started out as an agent for photographers. And then later on went on to produce uh, commercials and industrial films and, and things like that. And so they were both accomplished and, you know, both living in New York and raising a family. And it was, you know, very much a glamorous kind of life in its own way, because you had two, you know, very well dressed <laughs> pioneering people, uh, you know, making their way through, especially during those days, you know, the most glamorous city in the world. So I mean, it, you know, I think a lot of that rubbed off on both my sister and myself in how we we feel like life should be and uh, living life up to a certain standard and treating other people up to a certain standard. So it's all inclusive. I mean, you know, growing up, everybody was at my house, you know, gay, straight, black, white, purple, we had it all. Right. And it was just, that's how it was. And they were so interesting, all these people. And there were there were famous people and there were not so famous people and struggling artists and people who were very accomplished all in one room. And unlike today where everybody groups together in the same group, people with money hang with people with money and people without money hang with people without money. It wasn't like that then, uh, at least not to the extent that I could see. It was very much all-inclusive. It wasn't about how much you had in your bank account. It was about how much you had to say from your mind. That's where your worth was. Your soul, you had a good heart and an interesting mind. If you, if you took these people on paper, none of them had anything in common. But when they came over to our house and right. everybody sat down at the table and were laughing and joking and talking about all kinds of crazy stuff right from art to politics to you know television to this to movies and everybody was the same yet different and we embraced how different everybody was see now in today's world we don't do that right we don't embrace how different we try to make everybody the same that's the you know, it, that's also, it goes into that sort of racist mentality in that we don't, the fact of the matter is you and I are very different, yet we are the same. And the problem is we don't embrace both. 
we just sort of accept both, but we don't embrace both. The fact that you're different than me is part of why I dig you. And the fact that you're the exact same as me is why I dig you. Mm. That mentality is lost in today's world. Yeah, it, we, it's just it's just it's lost. It's lost, and I and I tell you something else. It's lost in the way that everyone tries to emulate someone else. A hundred percent. Right, like something that you say a lot is you talk about being your authentic self, and I and I hear you say that, but I, when I actually see it, it's funny because you'll see a person with like let's say they might have a they might say I'm a fashion blogger or something. Um, this guy asked me to follow him. You know, I said I'll, I'll go to his site. I went there, and every other outfit that he had on had rips in the pants right. and, and it was like this certain tapered look and I was like this doesn't look like anything you know there was a couple cool outfits on there but <laughs> I was like to myself I said this is not you know and, and not to judge anybody but it was the same style done over and over and over and over and over again and I was kind of like this to me wasn't something that I vibed with so right. I didn't follow him I was just like I, I didn't want to see that over and over well, oh you know what? Timeline. That's also a, a that's a that's a social media thing too, man. You that, think so? You know, I, I it is. Also, we're bombarded with images on social media, so we we do tend to get a little numb to them, and everything starts to look the same. But my problem with a lot of those cats are that you know you have these guys getting dressed up for the camera, you know, one way, and then they're a complete opposite of that in their real life so who am i supposed to believe who you are mm. you know uh, it's it's sort of to me it's a little disingenuous you know because then if i saw you on the street i wouldn't recognize you because you know you're only that way for the camera so the only way i'm going to see you like that is if i happen to walk into your photo shoot i'm right. not really looking <laughs> to do that i gotta well, you know well you know i think that Okay, so the, t the, the, the time where we come from is, so one thing I like about is, is the time that we're coming from is that, like when I, since I met you, you were like Christopher Corey. You were always well polished. So when people ask me like, you know, about you, that's what I, that's the vision I have in my head, but I don't know you before that. So I wanna get into before you were Christopher Corey, when you were that guy and you were coming up and you were finding your own, who was that guy? Uh, that guy was very much uh, t-shirt and jeans, uh, working construction, um, breaking his hump every day, just trying to you know figure it out as he went along. It was uh, wait, how old were you back then? Like around? Uh, that was probably in my early twenties, okay. my late teens, early twenties. And, you know, trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, it's you, you fumble and stumble your way through it, especially as a young person, to try to figure out who you are and, and what you had to say. And as a young person, you're very impressionable and you're very influenced by the things you see. So you tend to be more of a follower. You know, you see a trend and back then, the trend was very much, you know, jeans and t-shirts and like, I guess, what is it? The grunge movement had just sort of, you know, was taken off and whatever. Before that it was eighties and 
I was Miami Vice, man. <laughs> I was, you know, Don Johnson with my sleeves rolled up <laughs> and on my blazer and my pastel T-shirt underneath. Right. And, and I was that guy. And you're very influenced by the images that you see. For sure. And you, you want to sort of emulate that and you think it's cool and that's what's what they call now trending. Right. Back then was just what you did. You, you, just, you, did. you just followed it and you, you know. But back then, everything was a lot different. You know, hip hop was just coming up mm -hmm. and all different kinds of music were just coming up. And Madonna came out and she was wearing these crazy bracelets and had these cra this crazy hair. I remember, hair that. I remember and it was, that. And so you followed what was the trend of the moment and you, mm -hmm. and you rode it like a wave until the next wave came along. You know, mm -hmm. first it was punk and then it was disco and mm -hmm. then it was, was, you know, grunge. And then, right. and you followed, you rode those waves. Well, how did you make the switch though? I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I, I tell you what it was. I, you I, know, I've dieted up. Authentically and in your gut, your gut has an amazing track record. It has never once steered you wrong. Whether you listen to it or not is a different story, but it's always been there. It's, it's your soul, it's your core, it's your everything. And since I was a little kid, I was always enamored and fascinated, regardless of what was going on in society, whether it was hip hop or grunge or whatever, I was always enamored with old Hollywood. And especially growing up here in New York, you know, at the time that I was young here in New York, people here were still very well dressed and they carried themselves in a certain way. And it just, I was sort of in awe of it because you could feel it. The, the trends that came along that the waves that you wrote, you didn't really feel them, you went with them. But th that look, that sort of polished look always struck a chord in me and always struck down deep. So then time goes on and, and grunge happens and things happen and MTV and everything else. And the world started getting more casual, which it wasn't the casualness that I didn't like. It's what the casualness represented. To me, it looked like and seemed like and felt like it was representing laziness. Oh, you mean like like very like relaxed dress? Very. Okay. And got it. It, it became sort of a lazy way of being. And what happens with that is it doesn't just confine itself to dress. It can find it, it spreads out into everything else, manners. Uh, a way of conducting yourself, how to treat other people. When that started to come along and really gain traction, what you what you saw was men stop opening a door for a lady. You you saw uh, people disrespecting other people really easily. You saw uh, things that that keep yourself and society up to a certain standard started to slip away completely. So as the world got more casual, I wanted to be the opposite of that. I wanted not to fall into that lazy trap. We, especially as Americans, we are susceptible to that in a major way. If you make it even remotely easier for us, 
we will take it in a second. Any excuse to become lazy or any excuse to make it easier for, we will jump on that. You can make it easier. I don't have to work as hard. I'm on that. Show me that. And it just, it, it breeds on itself and it becomes very destructive to the collective. So I didn't want to get caught up in that. So as the world got more casual, I got more formal and I started to hold myself to a different standard. And when I started to do that, it just sort of organically grew. The jeans came off, the t-shirt came off, the suit came on, I stood up straighter. And when I was feeling like that, I also realized that I had to do something to, I won't say justify, but to make what I was looking and feeling like more authentic. Right. That you can't, otherwise it becomes a costume and yeah. a disguise, right. right? And there's a right. lot of that out there now. Agreed. Guys walking around, ladies walking around in a disguise. You know, it's not truly who they are. A pig in a dress. They're Still ab- a pig. In, uh, <laughs> see, man, I tell you what, you know, right. it's like a big pig farm out there. But if, if you're going to, if you're going to talk it, you got to walk it. And I realized that too. And so then I made uh, great attempts and through a lot of falling on my face, trying to try to live up to the standard that I wanted to be. Wow. And what, and what, would, you, what would you say in terms of, you know, cause like I said, I, I never imagined Christopher Corey without money in the bank. So you tell a story recently on another podcast where you, you know, you got a humble beginning and then you figured out how to start your business. And so one of the things that gets lost in seeing people seeing who you are, they think that you just got it like that. So I like to hear your story of how you came from being Chris to Christopher Corey. Christopher Corey has had various times in his life of being dead broke with no money in the bank. You don't just start that way, it can happen to you. 10 different times during the course of your lifetime. And it's, it's like anything else in life, it's trial and error. You learn by the greatest teacher in the world is screwing up. Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's an amazing tool to have. It doesn't feel so good at the time, but it definitely uh, teaches you a lot in a very short period of time in the big picture. So, yeah, I had to start, uh, and I've told this story before, you know, I had uh, no money in a bank, but I had enough money to buy a few of the best suits that I could afford, which at the time really weren't that great. But, you know, I had them tailored to... Now, at the time, I'm young, so my motivation wasn't that great, but my intent was. My motivation was... I had to look like money to attract money. And then we are purely talking business now. I'm not talking life. That's a whole other thing. But in terms of business, I had to look like money to attract money. Um, Because what I was going into, which at the time was real estate, especially here in New York, you weren't going to get the kind of clientele and the kind of work you wanted to get unless you looked the part. I couldn't show up in a t-shirt and jeans 
and say, hey, yeah, I'm going to sell your $10 million apartment. It's just, it, it wasn't going to work. Today it might to be today it might today it might <laughs> to, to be quite honest with you which is a sad state of affairs because nobody cares anymore you know honestly if i walked into a 10 million dollar apartment and a guy was showing me this apartment in a t-shirt and jeans you know it would take me a while to overlook him to go look at this apartment it's you know especially in that business you're the gateway to the experience of the apartment and if this guy doesn't care why should i so right away you're behind the eight ball. So ironically today it could work because the guy who's buying the $10 million apartment is also in a t-shirt and jeans <laughs> and he's okay with a guy in t-shirt and jeans. Right. And you know, they just, you know, got bought out. Their startup just got bought right. out by Google <laughs> and neither of them care. And okay, that's not me. And especially at the time that I was starting, that was not, very much the way the world was. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm thankful for that. And so, uh, I literally made great pains and, and, you know, lived on a cup of noodles, uh, for a while, you know, but going out there hustling every day in a way that I felt like other people of that sort of genre were going to respond to me. Right. And quite honestly, you know, as rough as those times were, they were the best. Right. Because the drive and the hustle was so there that, you know, it's that eye of the tiger thing, man. Right. You're, you're hungry as can be. And yeah, and so how'd you get your, how'd you land your first client? I was literally sitting at the bar that I used to go to all the time in a restaurant that, you know, Barney's is now gone here, but at the top of Barney's was a restaurant called Fred's. And uh, in the early 90s, you know, I would sit there and nurse an iced tea <laughs> because that was all I could wait, afford. Lo wait, Long Island iced tea or just a regular iced a tea? A regular iced a tea. A regular iced tea, okay. If I were Long Island iced tea, man, you'd be peeling me up off the floor. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would sit there and nurse it for like five hours waiting for people to sit down. Obviously, people who are shopping there and doing their thing, they were having a power lunch there who all had money. And people, you know, this was even before cell phones, man. So people actually used to engage each other. You know, right. you didn't sit next to somebody and be on your phone, you know, right. someone who sat down, you'd actually talk to them. I know it's like, you know, yeah. a novel approach right <laughs> now, but right. you know, you would actually be interested in the, Hey, how you doing? All right. How you doing? What are you, what are you up to? And then, you know, enough people sit down, they'll ask you what you do and what, you know, and that conversation comes up and then, this one woman sat down and she, uh, we got to talk and she liked the suit, you know, so already started working, you know, the suit. And she said, I, I'm, you know, I want to get that for my husband. And I said, okay, you know, I can tell you where to go and I'll send you to my tailor and blah, blah, blah. And we got to talking for like an hour. And then she said, you know, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm in real estate, you know? And she said, uh, well, that's so funny because my husband and I are actually thinking about moving, selling our place and looking for a new place. So, boom. And, you know, I dropped the card and then uh, she called and, you know, then it, I, I got very fortunate actually early on because in real estate, especially what happens is your first year or two in real estate, you make very little money. You're, you're just starting out. You you don't have any traction, you're, you're green, you're trying to find your way. I was very fortunate in that I sold a lot right out of the gate. 
So that propelled me. So as soon as I could, you know, break free of all the restrictions and I could do what I wanted, it sort of freed me up to, to expand it even further. Wow. And you know, that networking that you do, this is what's also lost because one of the things that happens with me is, and I don't know if this, you say people contact you a lot. I get contacted by people and it'll be, this is how I get contacted sometimes. Hey man, what, what do you do? Or, Hey man, what's, what's going on? Like, I would, I would love to be on your show. Not good morning. Not how you doing. It's unbelievable. And so in my mind, I'm like, sometimes I don't answer the question because I guess when where I'm coming up, I, I used to think about how I was going to approach you so that I would have the best outcome with you. I figured right. if I if I don't say good morning or how you doing and I start saying, hey, man, I noticed that you do this. How'd you do this? They, sometimes people ask me questions that right. never spoke to me in their life. And I looked down the thread to see if we had some kind of conversation. Nothing there. I know, believe me. How, you, I, how do you deal I with get, that? I get direct messages uh-huh. and I get this all the time. And that is, I would love to be mentored by you, which is very humbling and very flattering. The way in which they approach it, however, tells me all I need to know <laughs> right from the, from, from go, right? Right. So, I, and I've, I've mentored a few people in the past and it's, it's always turned out well and I was glad to do it. And it, it, you know, it is a lot of work, but it, it's very fulfilling work. However, when they DM me like that, I generally hit them back in the most polite way that I can saying that, you know, I'm, I'm very humbled and very honored. You know, I, I can't really do it right now, but please stay in touch. But I'm always amazed at how bad their approach is. Right. One guy caught me on the wrong day. And I guess I must have been having a really bad day. So. <laughs> well, and I was like, I was cranky this day. And he hit me with just like one of the messages that you were talking about. It starts out, hey, and it, it basically goes downhill from there, asking me to mentor him. So because it was a bad day, and I guess, <laughs> I, I don't know whether I had too much coffee, I don't know what happened, but I just let loose. And I said, yeah, okay, here's mentor tip number one. You're done. You're done before you started because here's how you started. You started with, hey, <laughs> you know, if I walked up on the street to, to you, I wouldn't start out with, hey, if you met somebody in person and it was someone that you were wanting something from, you, you come to them with respect and you come to them in, in a way that's gracious and adult, quite frankly. If I came to, I would say, Excuse me, Mr. Graham, I know you're busy. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot going on. Please indulge me if you could, five minutes of your time. Something, something to, give me a nugget to work with because right now I know exactly who you are by how you approach me and we are starting at less than zero. And that's what I hit him with. And I, this, this, (laughs) response went on, you know, where you have to actually scroll, you know, and it went on and on. And he hit me back with, wow. Right. And I said, I hope that helps, man. 
If you want to come back to me again in a different way, my ears are open. But right now, they're not with uh, hey. No, you're listen, and what you're saying is so. The way you you're putting it, it's like I'm watching people, and I'm saying to myself, I I'm thinking there's some part of you that understands. Like even the, the there was a, a woman recently that asked me some advice. She was approach she had approached this woman that she knew, uh, and this woman was in like, I don't know, some city council or something. But she knew the family and she said, this woman didn't even respond to my email. I said, let me hear the email. Hey, it's me, um, Brenda, Buzzerson's daughter. Oh I'm like, bro, I'm like, I'm like, are you, you talk to a city council member like that? This person earned that spot. The last thing you want them to do is remember that you were the little girl that their mother knew. Like you want to come in there. Like you want her to say, who is this young lady and have to find out who you are. You can't use your mother's. Um, card to get in somewhere. Amen. And that's what she was Amen. doing. I was like, wow. It's about, it's, you know, you can knock on the door one way. You can stick your foot in the door another way. You know, you can make a noise outside, but you have, you have to do it in a way where it makes people want to open that door. That's a good, and good if, damn if point. you do that with respect, that door will open nine Anytime. times out of 10. And then on the 10th time that didn't, you didn't want it opening anyway. Yeah. And i tell you another thing. People, they'll come to you with. So one of the things that I've, I've done is I study people's who they are. So the only thing that I have now is social media. So but what I do look at is how a person is trying to build themselves up. And like, for example, you're on social media. I see how you're building your brand. You, I don't need to ask you many questions like. I see how you carry yourself. I see that you're trying to build your brand. And so if I'm going to approach somebody like you and say, hey, I want to do something with you, that means I got to do work on myself. That means I can't think of aligning myself with a person and saying, I want to do the minimum amount of work possible. And he's done all this work to get where he needs to. Of course he wants to work with me. So I think about what can I add to the flavor that, you know, may, that may not be there, that may not be your expertise. And that's how I think... I'm thinking that people would approach us, but what I'm seeing in, yeah. in, um, in this day and age, people don't think about how they will fit in or how they can make themselves relevant to what we're doing. They say, tell me how I can be relevant to you. They ask me. Right, which is- It's very interesting. It is, it's sort of a bad approach because what they're looking for is for you to give them the answer. What you want is for them to have the answer already before they come in the door. You know, at the end of the day, and you certainly learn this as you get older, <laughs> is, you know, you, you, you become a very good editor. Right. You know, you, you know what's important, who's important, what matters. Your time becomes very, very valuable, as it always should be. But you realize that if someone is not contributing to your life, they're taken away from it. So if you have someone in your life who is not contributing in some way to your life in terms of enriching your mind or making you laugh or, or it, whatever way possible. There's a myriad of different ways. It would take us an hour to list them all. But if they're not contributing to your life, then they are taken away from it. Then they're, they're sucking the life out of you. So you become a lot better at weeding out who has something to contribute to either your life or life as a whole, and who doesn't? And so you 
you have to be sort of ruthless in you know your, ruthless. in your <laughs> in your in your editing ways and know that it's for the greater good because it's it's what's best for them too. You know, just because they're not contributing to your life or life as you see it, they could be contributing to somebody else's. Right. So don't waste your time. And you know, free their time a, up. Exactly. That's and, a good and, point. and giving them an opportunity, you know, is that's a good point. It, it just may not be the right mix. Yeah. But if it's not, let them go mix with Early, someone else this is true. Who, who they could mix well with. Yeah. So one of the things also that I noticed is that when you, when you, the thing that also, because people get caught up in, okay, your numbers, you have a big follower number. But the thing that I think that makes me, there's a couple of things that, that you do that stick out to me that I, that I think that add, and, I, and I'll run them down to you. So one of the things is, is, I don't know how much time you spend on social media, but when I post something, you, you, you interact with it, you engage with it. And you have 300,000 something followers, I don't know what it is, but you have a lot, right? So I'm thinking to myself, this person, this man, does a great job of being engagement, engaging on social media, you create content for social media, you run a business, and when I talk to you, and I try to keep it few and between because I like, you know, I like to, you know, some people just call me for no reason at all. <laughs> I try not to be one of those people or just text you stuff. Like when I come to you, I have a complete idea. I learned that from, That's like you true. said, I learned that from, from me dealing with people. They tell me about stuff and I get excited and then they don't have it. And I'm like, you don't have it? Why did you bring it? Why did you talk to me about it? So I, I, I learned right. that from me, like me, I'm not that, I'm, I don't consider myself that busy. I consider you probably more busy than I am. So I say, when I'm going to talk to Christopher Corey, I'm going to have an idea ready. Everything's going to be in line. And then he's going to say yes or no. Because if you say yes, and then I'm, not, I'm ready five months down the road, you could change your mind now. Right. So what do, you, what do you attribute to like you showing up on time, being punctual? Like, where do you get all of these things that make your, your not just your, yourself, but your brand make you like so worthy of, of, um, well, let me thing. start out by yeah. saying, and you know, I always tell you straight. Yeah, tell me straight. To me, that's a bad mindset. Mm -hmm. Not coming to me with a complete idea. Right. I, absolutely. Uh, you know, I love that. <laughs> but it's a bad mindset to start out with that, A, that I'm busier than you. Okay. Because whether I put in more hours than you, we're all busy. Right, and true. my busy is not worth any more than your busy. Mm -hmm. It's the same where, you know, I, whatever, look, I'm shocked that anyone other than like my sister and 10 friends follow me, but whatever your numbers are on social media, you have a couple hundred thousand followers or you have 200 followers does not equate to your worth. So because someone has 200,000 followers and another person only has 200 followers, they're not worth more than, in terms of marketing and media, maybe they are, but in a relationship, kind of back and forth and supporting one another, mm. it has, to me, has no relevance whatsoever. There are people on social media that have 10 followers who put out the most amazing content that you will ever see. And then there are people who have a million followers 
who in my eyes are putting out crap every day. This is a fact. (laughs) (laughs) So never judge it by someone's bank account or how many followers they have or their popularity or their, their net worth or anything like that. You it's as a person, whether you had one follower or a million followers, I would always support you because you're my guy. Right. But I don't equate that to, you know, there are people out there who opportunistically will search out people with huge followings and they may not like those people, but they think it's a good business opportunity. To an extent, I get that because business is business and you do, you, you're not always going to love the people you're in business with or that you do business with. But in the big picture, on a societal level, on a personal level, on a real world level, aside from business, that should not matter at all. Right, right. But what, I'm, what I mean is that, you know, with, like, so in conjunction with everything. So let's say, for example, um, I was meaning, like, I guess I didn't explain it correctly. What I'm meaning is that, let's say if, if um, you see a person who has a huge follow number, they tend to act a certain way, which you don't. Like, you're very much there. Like, like I said, in the moment. So that means that when I say you're busy, it's a, it's a reality. Like, you... Like it's not it's not because your numbers. I happen to know you at, on on another level. I know the suits and stuff that you're putting together. I know the travel that you're doing to um, when you went to Paris. I know about the new equipment and stuff that you. My girlfriend keeps me up to breast with you know new collaborations <laughs> you're doing the Aston Martin deal. So when I say that you're busy, I'm, yeah. I mean it in a good way. I don't mean it in a way that you're. I mean that in your busy, you make time for what's important. Is my point. So you make so you're busy as busy as you are when you say Glenn let's meet and do such and such you come and you're there and you're present I have people that that are busy right that I know that ask me for a favor and I can't get in a meeting with them well I will say which I, I find very interesting <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm trying will, to help them and they're like I, they're like looking at their watch so I mean you know you're well because those are people who talk and don't do but at the end of the day, you're only as good as your word. And that actually defines who you are. You make a commitment. You stick to that commitment. And, and I don't mean this as any kind of sexist way, because this is true of both men and women. Mm-hmm. But especially as a man, your word is your honor. Your word is your, your badge of honor and your commitment to another person if you say hey what about thursday at two o'clock and i say yes thursday at two o'clock you know damn well thursday at 145 (laughs) i'm there yes that is being respectful of you your time my own time and it's a commitment, and you honor your commitment. It, that's about honor. That's true of both men and women, but I do find that, especially men in this world, I find women much better at it than men, which they are most things. But especially that men, there are too many boys in this world and not enough men. Boys don't keep their commitments. Boys break play dates. 
<laughs> okay. Wait, boys, big, wait, you got to break that one. Boys break play dates? Yeah, because <laughs> when two boys get together, just like you see, like, you know, the suburbs, well, oh, little Johnny has a play date, you know. <laughs> boys break play dates right. because they wait for the next best thing to come along that will bump the first play date and they try to up their game to the second play date. So boys break play date or they're lazy and they don't feel like doing it that day. Men honor their commitment and they conduct themselves like a man. As a man, you show up. As a boy, you break a play date. Okay, and so you, you broke it down just very concisely. You did it in a way that I'm going to remember, and that's what I'm trying to say. That, that's the thing I'm trying to I, say I, to you. No, that is 100% true, and I agree with you 1,000%. You've the prob- never the, broken the I, I would n- I would never. I, listen, if, if I'm in the hospital <laughs> and, and, and I can pull the tube out and make it, I said, Glenn, I might, I might be a little late, but I'm there for you, bro. That's how it's going to go down. Short of that, it, it'll just I'll always be there. Right, the right. problem that we have today, especially, and I think what you'll find is in the people that you're talking about, if you look through your notes and you see all these, these uh, meetings that you made with people who broke it down, the majority of them are men. This is true. Yeah, and then and then also the follow up because um so that something so something just to just to jar that that little thing of the man, <laughs> oh, I made a uh, I this woman the other day sent me a, a message on Instagram and she says um, I wear the flowy dress, and I was thinking to myself, what flowy dress? So you know, so I did. So it was in DM, right? So what exactly I started are we so, about here, so I started scrolling the DM, right? And I'm like, I had a conversation with this woman. And I'm looking, and then I, I, I scroll a few up, and then it says, I hope she's not listening to this. So it says, <laughs> no, no. So it says, it says, um, I want to do, I wanted, I had this idea for a photo shoot, and I wanted to shoot her. And I, and I asked her, did she have any flowery dresses and she could wear it with her afro? But guess when I sent that message? Oh, I know where you go. Yeah. Yeah. 2018. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> Give me a bump on that one. Give me a bump, bro. I, and so I had to respond to her. I said, "I because I, I don't even really do photography for for clients anymore. I kind of do them, you know, for most of my business." But I was like, so I texted her back, and I was like, "I sent that two years ago. You could see it there." I, I, you know what? And then you just got to hit her back and say, "Hey, you know what? When we'll do this photo shoot is 2000 and never." Wow, that's some crazy. That's crazy. You know what? Because that's a, that, you know, I got I have no patience for that. What what advice would you give? Would you take from your younger self? Because I used to ask, what advice would you give your younger self? What advice would you take from your younger self um, now that you were doing back then? That you know, sometimes you were doing something that works well, and then you stop doing it. Right. Anything a, that you could think of? That's a great question. That's a great <laughs> question. I would. The younger self would probably tell me, the older self, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. And that's with anything? Everything. Everything. Don't, you know, we become more cautious as we get older and we come, become more frightened of, of, you know, the outcome of things. Your younger self, you know, 
you, you think you're indestructible and whatever, which isn't that smart either, but a little more of that and a little less of the other, I would say, don't overthink it. Just if it, if it feels right, do it. It'll, it'll all work out. You know that sort of early on more so than you do later on. You're right. So I think the younger self would tell me, don't overthink it. Take more chances. It's a just if it feels good, it'll it'll work out. It'll that's, work out. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, I like that one, man. Because you know what? It's funny when I think about it. When I start to do something, I don't know how it's going to work out. But I have. I think it's, and I think you can attest to this. When you feel so strongly about something, you're not even really sure. Other people start to believe in it. <laughs> and I'm right. like, yo, these people believe in it. Right. And I'm like, yo, I got to keep doing it because now they believe in it. Right. And then you feel obligated. I feel to obligated. It. Yeah, I know that, that is true. That is true. Well, but, you know, you're only as good in this life as the people you're surrounded by. Right. So if you value those people and, and they're behind it, that that's actually probably a good sign that you're on the right track. You know, you, you have to surround yourself with good people in this world because they, uh, they lift you up and they, and they, they surround you with positive vibes that are always, you know, or negative ones that you need, you mm -hmm. know, and, and keep you in check. You know, life and business, you sometimes have to view very differently. In terms of life, you want to think about the most positive outcome. I look at life in very much more of a glass half full kind of way. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going to be, mm -hmm. we're going to be fine. And it, this is going to, and it, you know, that's life. Business is a little bit different because you have to be a little more practical and more analytical. So in business, I tend to think the worst case scenario, you know, it's, it's glass half empty. How bad do I get hurt if this doesn't work out? Really? Yes, because you have to, because you're generally, if it, especially if it's your business, you're right. going to make an investment. So whenever you make an investment, whether you're buying a home or you're investing in a business or whatever you're investing in, you have to think to yourself, okay, if I invest in this on Wednesday and Thursday, everything goes to hell. How bad do I get hurt if I invest in this? What is my downside? The upside, if you work hard enough and you believe in your idea or your purchase or whatever it is, it'll take care of itself. The downside is what you have to be concerned with. So we come full circle. We talk about balance, right? Yep. Balance and life. Balancing life and business is very, two very different mindsets a lot of the time. Life is, it's going to work out. Life is, it's going to get better from here. I may have to make adjustments and the people around me may have to make adjustments, but all together we're going to be okay. And, and we're all going to grow and it's going to be a beautiful thing. Now close the lid on that. <laughs> In this container is business, business, very different, different mindset. You say, okay, if I do all this, I invest my time, my money, my efforts, my, my sleepless nights, my giving up, you know, 
going out to meet with friends because I got to work or, you know, or my lady or my, you know, family commitment and these sacrifices have to be made. I, I know what the payoffs are going to be. Quite honestly, they're limitless. They're, they're only limited to how hard I work. But what is my downside? What if I do everything right and it still goes wrong? What is my risk? And if you can do what you can to limit that downside, the risk, right? Then you you determine whether it's worth the risk. I like that. I like that. I have another question for you. I think I have yeah. two questions for you, uh -oh. and then we're gonna wrap. Uh -oh. Now, this is the million dollar question. Now, when you worked that construction job, was that your last job you ever worked for? Like that was not for yourself. Hmm. Well, even that was for myself. Oh. But when I first got into real estate, mm -hmm. when I first got into real estate, I worked for, because you have to. You have to work for real estate. Yeah, I know. My Correct. brother does that. Yes. Um, and so I worked for a little mom and pop shop. It was owned okay. by a couple. Okay. We used to fight all the time. and uh, But actually it was the wife, the owner of the company, she was a interesting individual, <laughs> but she was a selling machine. And that year that I was there, I learned a lot, mostly what I didn't want to be, you know? Cause you jumped her, my question, I like that. Okay. Her, her approach was her horrific. Like I could never be that. But, but in terms of how hard she worked, how she worked, what she put her focus into versus what wasn't important. And those things were invaluable. And I learned a great deal. So for that year, you know, I worked for someone else and it was very, very educational. And I do think, you know, I'm more of the model of, because I've been on my own for so long, I fumble and stumble as I go. And I've had big, huge successes and galactic failures, but they've all been on me. And that's how I am. I'm much more comfortable with that than, and it's probably a control thing and it's all, you know, textbook 101. You could, you know, <laughs> psychologists would have a, a field day with you. Yeah. But it's definitely a control thing, but I, I'm much more comfortable with that if I, if I tanked, it was because I tanked it. Or it, it was not that it was successful, oh, I did it, but I, I, I could manage it myself. When the hard part about that is, is relinquishing control to others that are around you that you trust, which is a lesson that I'm still learning. Right. But at the end of the day, that's where I'm comfortable with. That's not the right way to do it. That's the right way for me. Other people benefit a lot more by going somewhere and working for someone and absorbing all that knowledge and then applying it to their own thing or not even their own thing, applying it to a better position in that company. They, there's a, there's a bunch that's of why, ways, you know, right. there's, there's 31 flavors at Baskin Robbins, man. There's a little <laughs> something for everybody. For Everybody's got, you know, and you can mix them and you can, it, it there's a, there's a thousand different ways to do it. My way, it's by just, far, is not the right way. Is the right way for me. 
Okay. So I lied. I have two questions because you, you answered that one minute. I couldn't even finish it. You answered right. it. So I want to ask you, because people would often ask you about your biggest success. So I'm going to ask you about one of your biggest failures and what did you learn from it? That To you anyway, like something that you thought was, a, it doesn't have to be a colossal, but something that you thought was a big deal and you learned a lot from. Oh, my biggest failure, and and we're talking about in business In now. business, yeah. My biggest failures, plural, because there's definitely been more than one, have always been when I chased the money. When I thought about the payday. When I was blinded by the numbers. When young cats come to work for me, I tell them straight up, I'm like, why are you in this business? On the real estate side, not not here in the in the shop, but on the real estate side, why are you in this business? Is because is it because you love real estate? You eat, sleep, and drink real estate. You you love everything about it. For you you wake up thinking about it. You go to sleep thinking about it. It's you. It's all you look at on your computer. It's all. If that answer is no in any one of those categories, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking no. I'm here because I want to make a lot of money. And I tell them, you're not going to be here very long. Take it from someone who knows. If the, the last thing you should be thinking about, like when you do a real estate transaction as a, as a broker, is your commission. When I mentor guys and I teach them to sell, the first rule of selling is don't sell. Because when you get a, that sort of mentality, you're thinking about your payday. What you need to be thinking about is, did I give the best service possible to my client? Did I take care of them? Did they have a great experience? W would they recommend me to 10 of their friends? Did they, were they taken care of in the best way possible? That's regardless of any business you're in. If you can do that, the money comes. The money will come just by the nature of it. But if you reverse that and you think, I got to get to this payday. You're going to get your ass handed to you. <laughs> and if you do, that will be the most valuable lesson you learn. And you need to learn it. And sometimes you need to learn it more than once. Look, there have been a handful of times where I had huge, huge deals presented to me. And I chased it. And I spent, I invested my time, money, and effort into it thinking about that payday. And every time it's ended up in disaster. And in your gut, you know it, but you know, the seduction of the big payday is, is a great allure. And, and so I would say all of my failures have been related to that, have been in some way, shape, or form. Well put. Chasing the money, you'll, you'll end up chasing your tail. Wow, well put, man. I mean, seriously, because I'm going through the same thing actually right now. Uh, people are getting into podcasting, right? I happen to love it. I love it because of the platform it provides. And so I know that money comes, like I've made some money already doing it. Uh, and people ask me to produce shows for them, but I'm seeing an overwhelming people. Like I'm on a, I'm, in, I'm part of a podcast community online. I won't mm -hmm. say too much about that, but people in there, they ask me, yo, how much money do you make? I'm like, bro, you don't even want to think about that. You know how much you, how much influence you have as a person right. with a platform. You could, you could like how many business I grow from it. 
how you can good for you man you can right you know so for me i'm thinking the the most successful people i know the most successful people i know and i mean success in all facets of their life i don't mean just business because you can have some and i know them and some of them are my clients very successful in business and they are miserable people miserable (laughs) right they're miserable with a (laughs) lot of money right right i mean successful in all facets of their life they're successful in their life and they're successful in business those people are all people who did what they loved not with the outset to make a lot of money and i firmly firmly believe if you do what you are passionate about what you are really passionate about the money will come may not come the next day or the next week or the next year but it will come and in the meantime while it may be a struggle and it may be difficult it may be hard for a while you will be much more enriched during that time before the money comes than you ever will be in the reverse the journey yeah, absolutely right. what absolutely you'll be, who you'll become in the journey and then the right. money will come and when it does you will find i would say just about always a it wasn't what you thought b it didn't make you happy is that people really believe that they believe that if they had x amount in the bank they'd be happy that is a dangerous trap to fall into money makes your life easier but it doesn't make your life happier there's a huge difference there huge and it's a hard thing for people to get their head around because they are convinced they are convinced if they had the house the bends the the summer place and they could travel when they want and you know and the bling of it all then they'd be happy you fall into a mindset that way of once i have this then i'll have that you fall into that mindset you will never be happy ever right because you're always waiting for the next thing to make you happy and you are just filling up the empty glass man and And you're not developing at all you don't grow right because the people don't develop they're not developing so one thing about if you're doing what you love, like, so one last thing, and this is the last thing, and then we'll yeah, yeah. Done, No, is, all good, all good. Is when I met you, you hadn't started the clothing, but I saw the suit you wore, and I was like, man, this dude is sharp. So even with that, it took some prodding for you to, to do the, the clothing, right? Absolutely. You didn't just, like, get into it. Could you speak to that? Like, so you, find, you knew you were passionate about dress, and, I mean, you got an amazing style, what made you people don't believe me when i tell them the story by the way um that i remember when you were com- contemplating doing the store and you were like still kind of prodding like, i don't know if i'll do it or not i was How, it, listen it was my my business partner who you know yeah i know call yes, you know he's a persuasive shout out to carl how shout do you persuade you what's up how do you persuade you to do that yeah he's a persuasive dude man you know <laughs> like you're an italian cat who knows <laughs> he knows <laughs> you know what it was man oops sorry oh no You know, part of it was that he was so passionate about it. And you you can feed off of of someone's passion. What I found was I was always passionate about it, hugely passionate about it. Just by the way I lived, I never thought of it in terms of a business. Uh, It wasn't until 
I started styling people, my real estate clients, because that's essentially how it how it happened. And then I would bring them to Carl to get stuff made, you know, when we couldn't find it in the stores and whatever. And I realized that when I was out there moving and shaking in real estate, it was work. I mean, it was it was work. You know, it's you you grinding and you're hustling and you and you're working and. It, and especially when, you know, the market's booming, you're everywhere and it's 24 seven and you're working seven days a week. And I mean, you know, and you know, the money's good and then that, and that, that's helpful. It affords you, you know, some things, and especially the most important thing is to help other people with it, which that's the biggest blessing, but it's work. And I mean, a grind. What I noticed was when it came down to styling and it came down to the, you know, clothing part of it, I could spend hours and hours and hours a day doing it and it never felt like work. I, I couldn't believe how fast time would go. So it was a pleasure and a passion of mine that I never considered would become a business. Then, you know, Carl comes along and he's like, no, fool, <laughs> this is a business. Right. And I, I couldn't really see it. I was like, I just don't see. And then sort of fate steps in in its own way in that guys were coming into Carl's tailor shop with, you know, pictures of me from Instagram on the phone and saying, make me this. And then it started happening, you know, not like once a week, but like three times a week. And then it was, you know, five, because once they found out he was my guy, you know, and then he called me and he's like, yeah, I'm busy as hell right now. I mean, we, gotta, <laughs> we need to talk. Wow. So we just, we, it was sort of a put in the back of your mind kind of idea. And then through a crazy set of circumstances, like all the stars kind of aligned and, you know, the space and the, and then we started getting requests from other people and please do this, please do this. And then we had so many supporters behind us, you know, both very fortunate in that we have great people in our family and in our lives that are hugely supportive of right. us. And just like you said before, you know, once they all get behind you, you know, you want to see it happen for them just as much as you want to see it happen for yourself. And so it, it then, it, it blew up. Wow. you know, far beyond what either of us could have expected. Even sitting in here, it's so beautiful. Like, and and, and this also le leans back to your, you started as an interior designer, right? I did, I went to school for interior design. Look, I never, never I never it. finished school. Right. I, I went there for like a cup of coffee, man. <laughs> I, you know, and it's probably back to the control thing. It, right. I was sort of disenchanted with school. It, it felt very structured to me, especially on the creative side. I didn't want to be that confined to, and so it it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Right. And not that school is a bad <laughs> idea by any means. Right, it's, right. it's actually, especially, look, hey, if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, or in a trade or whatever, yeah. you need to go to school. You need to be the best student you can be and learn as much as you can learn. Especially in today's world, in, in depending on what you're going to go into, and I know this is probably not a popular or correct uh, philosophy, but I do find it's less crucial than it has ever been. 
in some industries, it's extremely crucial. The obvious ones, mm -hmm. doctor, lawyer, a trade, a mechanic, you know, something that, that requires it. In finance, a lot of the time, you know, if you had to go to a certain school, you had to go to the best school, you mm -hmm. had to go to, you, you know, there are financial companies that only look for people who graduated from a, a lot of that does matter. And depending on what you want to go into, it does matter a great deal. In the other 75% of life, life itself and work experience will give you much more of an education than you will ever find in that classroom that you are going into debt for. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I firmly believe that. That was not the case 25, 30, 35 years ago, was not. Today, that's the case. If if my child came to me, you know, at the age he was going to, and said, "Hey, pop, I want to do this, and I've come up with a business idea," and I would tell him, "Learn as much as you can about running your own business." But if you're telling me you want to do this and not go to school, I'm okay with that because we will waste four years of your time and mine, my money your life and you'll be four years behind the eight ball man, that was a good one <laughs> no well put man and uh chris man thank you for coming out i mean i'm very i'm very, I'm very happy to be sitting here with you and having this conversation you touched on a lot of great topics especially for you know even new or existing entrepreneurs I like the way your approach is that everyone has their own style and that to be authentic and unique Absolutely. and you don't push an agenda. And uh, I appreciate you being here and thank you, man. Oh man, you appreciate know, you it. and I could do this all day. We could do this all day. Like we'd be here till the sun went down and I appreciate you brother. And I'm humbled and honored to take part in this and you know, just keep doing you, man. I, I, I love to watch what you do and I thank love, you, you know, that you don't stop and that your, your, your mind is always working, man. I, I do, I envy that, bro, because you have a mind that, that is constantly coming up with new ideas. You know, that's, that's a great tool to have. You know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, right? You have to pick the, the best, <laughs> the best idea. ideas. Yeah. And, but, you know, most people don't even get that chance. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're phenomenally blessed and, the many that you've hit, you've already been successful at already, and the Thank ones you. to come in the future will only be more so. Thank you. And before we go, please tell everybody where they can find you and 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 what you're doing. Anything oh new Lord, coming up? Yeah. If they're looking for me, then <laughs> I would say they have other problems in their lives. But uh, we are on Instagram, uh, Christopher Corey, K-O-R-E-Y, and our website is ckcny.com. And he got the store, people, if you want to come down here. We do. We are here at 27 <laughs> West 55th Street. And uh, once this craziness is over, that the state of the world is in today, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see everybody uh, in, in a big way very soon. Awesome. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the 95 Killers podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at 95 Killers. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or loved one. Hope you're having a blessed day and keep killing those comfort zones. Until next time, peace.
The 9 to 5 Killers podcast is now available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Stitcher.